Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Enjoy. Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Dave Hanready and there will be no popcorn. It's the film and music offshoot of the No Encore podcast. Here to talk today about a German film from 2015 by the name of Victoria, which I guess the musical connection this time around is we all really like the soundtrack, I think. And that's <laughs> enough for us to do so. That first little giggle you heard there is welcome back to the show, Dahi Odroni. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Big fan. Listen, I'm, I'm, it's great to finally meet you. <laughs> I'm a big fan myself. Uh, Norma Howard is also here. Hello, how are we? And David Higgins. Hello. All right, cool. That's the roundup of people at the table, and we'll dive straight into what we've been watching. Um, I have a massive list here because I'm unemployed, so I will try and, <laughs> I'll try and knock it down just a few things. Um, I briefly revisited the Hitman cinematic universe because I'm playing Hitman 2 again. They are two horrendous films. Um, Macbeth, I think it's a five-star classic true history uh, true history of the kelly gang by the same director justin kurzel i think it's a two-star nightmare um, <laughs> also i will say i really enjoyed Booksmart. uh i found gladiator to be a bit of a bore especially in the second half on a bit of a rewatch i don't know why an extended version exists i finally got around to michael mann's public enemies which is a horrendously bad film um but what i will hone in on here is i downloaded shutter i got a free trial with shutter that kind of horror netflixy type thing which you can get um 
because I was searching for two different films that weren't on there. I was like gambling, thinking that maybe they would be, and they weren't. So instead, I was like, well, I better get my non-money's worth here and watch a few movies. So uh, I've watched a bunch of horror films, some of them on Shudder, some of them not. The one that's kind of out at the moment that people have been raving about, and I'm quite surprised, is a film called Host, and it is entirely set on Zoom during the pandemic. Oh, oh God. God. Yeah, yeah. And it's about like a group of people. So who, relatable. Oh, listen, you know. And it's like... Um, but Are a group, doing a quiz? No, they're doing... <laughs> they, go, they go to do an online seance, and things go wrong. An now, online I know, yeah. And like, here's the thing, right? I mean, like, I watched it on a Saturday night in my room, lights off, uh, in-ear earphones in. And I'll say this, right? It is genuinely frightening at times, but only because the film is so, like, unabashedly waiting to jump scare you the entire time. And I fucking hate that because it's just like, anyone can do that. Like, it does have an air of creepiness. It does have an air of tension. But a lot of it comes from, I'm just waiting for someone to jump out of the corner here. And that's, unfortunately, the route that they mostly go in. Now, here's here's the kicker, right? This film is 56 minutes long. What? Yeah. That's wow. ridiculous. It's insane. Does that qualify as a feature film? Apparently so, yeah, because it's been doing the rounds as, uh, as one in terms of, I guess, the virtual rounds. But I mean, like... Is that the length of there, a Zoom call? Zoom, <laughs> their Zoom trial, they didn't pay for the Zoom trial. I think, okay. if I recall correctly, there is a gag at the end where, like, it flashes up in the corner, you have 10 minutes left. And it's like, <laughs> oh, that's meant because they're all going to die now. But, like, it's just one of those things where, like, it just... I've seen a lot of praise for this. Like, a lot of praise online, whether it's on Letterboxd or I listened to a couple of podcasts that reviewed it. And... People are reacting as if, first of all, they've never seen Unfriended or something, which, you know, is similar. The one thing I will say, Unfriended, I think, is, like, perfectly fine, not great, but I enjoyed watching it on a laptop. I watched this one on on my TV screen. I actually regret not watching it on a laptop, but it annoyed me that I found it scary at times because the sense of dread was good. There's good stuff in it, um, and, like, they do use the conceit quite well, but it is a gimmick, and it is frustrating because by the end of it, it just goes into every, like, jump scare cliche you've ever seen, and that's just really fucking irritating. Because I'm just like, come on, like, use this better. Don't just, like, do the fucking obvious, which anyone can do and will get the desired effect. So I'm quite surprised at the, the level of love it's getting. Um, Any better than Unfriended, Cold and Dark Web? Dark Web. A um, mo- movie you and I and Dahi went to see in the yeah, cinema we together. Did. We yeah. had a lovely Tuesday night out. Oh, I remember those days. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, I? <laughs> too scared to go. <laughs> Um, on the dark web, purchasing a hitman or something. But no, it's uh, is it though? I, I don't know. I kind of want you to watch it. And let me know what you think of it because it's just frustrating. It was just like this could have been really good. There were moments where I was genuinely kind of like, oh god, like looking over my shoulder. But again, it's simply because I knew that there was like a fucking jack in the box coming in about two minutes. And the way the film ends as well is just fucking insulting. But they do use the zoom thing fairly well. Apparently, he was made like with a bunch of friends on no budget, and there's kind of references to you know coronavirus and stuff without it being too heavy handed about it. So like, fair enough. It's a someone has capitalized on the moment. But again, I think some of the reviews right now are just people. Much like with, like, say, you know, Fontaine's DC or Taylor Swift trying to create a fucking moment out of, like, a moment. And it's just like, I don't know. But also on Shudder, I watched a film called Mayhem, which is basically office space. We will get in their heads caved in. It stars Stephen Yun of Burning fame and Samara Weaving of no Ready or Not fame. Both of whom are great in this movie, which is way too obnoxious and one note to be really recommended. But also, you know, crucially, it's quite short, about 85 minutes, grand. Um, I watched a film called The Beach House. On, also on Shudder. I don't know why I'm shilling so much for this. Are, are we now sponsored by Shudder? I know. Are you sponsored by Shudder? <laughs> I just, I'm just saying. Like, like I, 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 down, I, I signed up for the fucking trial, so I'm trying to use it. Um, this one was better. This was like um, a young couple, young photogenic couple, go to a uh, beach house getaway, and they find an older couple there. And it turns out they know each other. They end up hanging out. But then some kind of weird contagion comes along. Again, kind of timely. And it uh, fucks everything up, essentially. So it's another one of those kind of slow burn, not much happens until stuff happens, low budget, 
ambiguous ending, not fully developed concept, but performed well, better crafted than like the other ones I've mentioned, including uh, The Rental, which is Dave Franco's directorial debut. The one we've all been waiting for. (laughs) (laughs) The author that we knew was there. Uh, This is about a bunch of people, including Dan Stevens, um, go to a rental house on Airbnb and bad things happen and there's not much to it. But it's 85 minutes, so fair play. <laughs> so it's like beach house, or like uh, Airbnb rental, the new cabin in the woods. I think so, yeah, <laughs> it's very like much so. The new spooky setting. Yeah, I there's already, I, I, I saw a movie of that before with um, Aaron Paul and Emily Ratajkowski. It was god awful. Kind of like, it was like Airbnb, what was that movie? Slither from like the, the early 90s? It was like a mixture of that. Um, Slither is. Um, James Gunn, isn't it, from 2006? Um, what am I thinking of? Then? Sliver. Sliver. Oh, wow. You're thinking <laughs> of Sliver. Sharon Stone, Stone and uh, William Baldwin. William Baldwin. <laughs> Fuckathon. Sliver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a racy villain. Post basic instinct, like, what's Sharon Stone going to do? Oh, yeah, that. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Remember my mother watching that one day and me being like 10? I mean, like, I gotta get out of this room. (laughs) (laughs) This is bad. Um, I guess, yeah, apart from that, uh, what else did I watch? Oh, Monos. Yes. Which is a film that I know you guys all love. Yeah, one of my favourite films from the last couple of years, for sure. I liked it a lot. Um, I thought it was a four out of five. It was Mm. a bit underdeveloped for me, but I thought it looked stunning. Yeah. Sounded great. I tend to be an absolute sucker for just, I don't actually really care if there's a great story or not, as long as it, like, looks really, really good. And Monos is definitely like that. It's kind of like a very Lord of the Flies type storyline, but the visuals are incredible oh, and the music level, yeah. is incredible as well. Like the, the sound design and everything. Also a directorial debut. Is it? I think it might be, yeah. Uh, at least one of um, the director's first couple of films anyway. And like the kids were cast from like Street workshops camps, yeah. and yeah, and boot camps and stuff. And a former Disney person, I believe. Oh, one, yeah. One, one of the main guys. Uh, I thought, Rico from Hannah Montana. I thought that was for your wife. It, it was absolutely incredible. You've seen Monos, haven't you? Yeah. Um, probably not as uh, big on it as you guys. I agree. Like, it looks incredible. And it's kind of something I wish I saw in the cinema. Mm. Like, I don't think it had the same effect watching it at home. Um, looks amazing. Sounds amazing. I just didn't really, like, get involved with any of the characters at all. So I kind of find it... Hard to care about really what was going on, even though I was like, well, I think this pretty to look at. Yeah, it's quite it's quite long as well. It's probably about 15 to 20 minutes too long, probably. They could cut pieces off, especially towards the end, I think. But um, I was about to say the first thing you said about Monos there, and now the last thing you said about it, uh, the idea of like, you know, amazing visuals and atmosphere and not much of a story. You could cut some off and will it apply to Victoria when we talk about <laughs> it later on? I don't know. Uh, Norma, what have you been watching? Um, so as a nice little treat to myself, I recently watched Roman Holiday because I can't go on a Roman holiday. So that was um, a nice little Audrey Hepburn number for myself. Um, one of the best films I've watched in the last little while would be Waves. So that came out 2019 Mm. and, um, it's just absolutely beautiful, stunning film, big Frank Ocean soundtrack, (laughs) And is, yeah, really, really gorgeous. I feel like when it came out, not a lot of people saw it. And then it left the cinema and people were like, oh, yeah, I really should have gotten to see that film. Um, I kind of wish I'd seen it in the cinema as well because the visuals and the grading, the colour on it are absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I also um, I watched it with Norma as well. And it's kind of very, made me cry three times. Three times. Big, proper, <laughs> ugly cries. Uh, really, really, like... 
heart wrenching or whatever. The the style is like it's got real style. Like it's got all these like lens flares and the color is like that real classic like music video like grading that they have at the moment. So I think even though it looks incredible, I don't know how it's going to age because it feels very like of the moment right yeah, now in terms of how it looks and everything. The director is Nicholas Schultz. Schultz. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Edward um, Schultz. Oh, Edward yes. Schultz. Yeah. Oh. And um, so he also did Euphoria, I think. Yeah, I think he did some work on that and he did The Night. Sorry, It Comes at Night. Am I getting my Oh, yeah, Joel Edgerton. Yeah. yeah. So like similarly to Euphoria, it is that kind of like bright blues and oranges kind of poppy colours and it's like banging soundtrack so that's definitely his it's paced quite nicely vibe. as well it's kind of the way it's split into kind of the two stories the yeah. story of the son and then the story of the daughter I think kind of works I think really I well. would try and go into it like don't watch the trailer just know mm. as little as possible and kind of let it wash over you right. like a wave <laughs> trailer's got that uh, Frank Ocean track in it that, that was the thing that sold me and I was just like this movie okay, looks gorgeous and it's I just say for anyone who like like Godspeed is in the trailer it does not feature in the film. It does not. But <laughs> just I, I think the, the movie more than makes up with it with like probably there's like 50 oh. songs like the, when you were yeah. saying like even mm. like the, the colour grading and you know it's very of the moment in its style it's like a you know a soundtrack of no, snow songs that were <laughs> released in the last like two or three years. And it probably like doubled its budget in its like sync stuff. Because it also has a very beautiful Radiohead drop yeah, at yeah. one point as well. It was like is, this, um, the second gorgeous. half of the film like in one of the final things they do is like play a Radiohead track at the bottom I'm just like geez okay just add another hundred million <laughs> onto your budget like to add a Radiohead track in here it's like crazy. Godspeed does feature though in The Old Guard which uh, mm. it, somewhat inexplicably by the way it doesn't really add much to the film but uh, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good song. However, I will say that while the old guard is certainly a three out of five, I will welcome the sequel tease that they have at the end of it. And also, as Higgs promised in a previous episode, it does in fact boast a world class corpse kill, <laughs> <laughs> which is all I want. Uh, what else you got, Norma? Um, so the other film, probably the last one I saw before watching Victoria, was Last Black Man in San Francisco. So I think that was also 2019. And again, another kind of like sleeper number. I feel like not a lot of people saw it in the cinema and then it kind of kicked up a bit afterwards. Interesting film, like probably I really enjoyed some of the characters in it and what it was trying to say. The more I thought about it afterwards, the less I liked it. So I kind of wish I just actually just watched it and left it. Um, but it's an interesting watch and I definitely, I think that's definitely a directorial debut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And an um, actorial debut, right? Was it yeah. So the lead actor in it, it's semi autobiographical and, um, he plays himself a version of himself in the film. And yeah, worth a watch. He's probably one of the best parts of the film as well. He's like really watchable on screen and everything yeah. as well. You watched uh, Gladiator recently, was it? I did. I was <laughs> I was in Claire uh, setting up for some studio stuff to write some music. And as I was setting up the stuff, I was like, I'll put on something kind of non-committal. Haven't seen this in ages. Put on Gladiator. Uh, I'm sorry, who was like, what film will I watch? Something non-committal. Gladiator. <laughs> it's like an easy, fun romp about fighting and stuff. <laughs> Is it? It's a, real, it's a real young man's film, a bit like Fight Club or something. Like, it's a I remember it. dad movie. Yeah, I, I remember it being <laughs> like real cool and like bad. Badass and thing. It's pretty goofy now. It's like it's got a little bit of a. Like, it's all over the place. Yeah, it's got a lot in it that I like, but it's all over the. It's like Ridley Scott at his worst in terms of excess and just like being all over the map. But it does have like enough iconic bullshit in it that you're like, the moment he takes off the fucking helmet and does the speech, you're like, yeah, man, that's so cool. <laughs> but like, it's a bit like it, it also has these like the, the these cuts that are like. Um, 
that are like a Marvel film are like these great big journey epic films where it like side swipes and suddenly you're in a different part of the world and he's like going down a desert or whatever. They cut like really superhero film style. I don't know, people like, like mo- the, I know several people who are like, my favorite film of all time, Gladiator. It's like the best one ever. You need to watch it again. You need to watch it it's again. It's been 10 years think, since they've seen this I don't think it's aged time. incredibly well. It's aged yeah. terribly. Some of the CGI is horrendous. Yeah, like, pretty grim. Yeah. And, and even, even like since even Game of Thrones or something like that, like the fight scene at the start, pretty lackluster, like not incredibly huge or anything, like fairly normal. They're up on a hill I having saw, a scrap. I saw one quick capsule review that said like, uh, the story of a man who uh, like has his wife and child murdered and, and uh, you know, like his honour stripped and is forced to become an Australian. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, anything else in uh, knocking around? I presume this was like, did you open up like a cabinet full of DVDs or something? <laughs> no, there's definitely something going on with the algorithms of the world because it definitely got served up to me on Netflix or something like oh, that. It was, I'd like, say. Yeah, it was a 20 year anniversary there recently, so I think it was, oh, maybe that was it then. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. There's there something I was wondering how you both separately, like individually, chose to rewatch Gladiator mm. <laughs> of all my, the films and all the land. I watched this for, like, for about two months because there was, a, there was a, I remember when we used to have jobs and we used to like read that things. That was the time, wasn't it? <laughs> Gladiator was one of those articles we would have edited back then. Did you watch Gladiator? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did you watch? Um, I watched uh, Palm Springs, which is a new rom-com with Andy Samberg and Kristen Meliotti. It's a lot of fun. I kind of went into it with like very little expectations. It's a kind of a riff on Groundhog Day. There's been a lot of them kind of knocking about lately with Russian Doll and um, Edge of Tomorrow. This one's kind of a little bit more clever. It kind of basically starts you in the time loop uh, where Andy Samberg is basically perpetually stuck in this loop of going to a wedding in Palm Springs every day. So it's it kind of it doesn't need to establish a lot. It just kind of like throws you into it. You're having fun with it. Um, and then the wrinkle is that it adds Chris and Miliotti. She accidentally gets into the time loop with him and then they kind of have to both deal with being in the time loop. Um, it's very, very funny. Uh, it's quite charming. They like have very, very good chemistry. Um, Sandberg does drama well as well, which kind of, he doesn't really get a lot of opportunities to uh, to do that. I mean, I think I've only ever seen him do it once before. Uh, there's a great turn by J.K. Simmons. It's a very nice, lean movie. A lot of fun. Big recommend. Um, I also watched The True History of the Kelly Gang. Again, like I don't think it's great. I thought it was fine. Um, it is a mess, but I kind of found it to be an enjoyable mess. There was enough in it. There was enough like bits um, that were working for me, even though together they weren't working. Um, very sceptical about George McKay as a leading man. Yeah, I don't see it. Um Nicholas Holt was having a time in this movie. It was basically like his prep for this movie was watching Gary Oldman and Leon. There's a bit where there's a scene where he's like threatening a baby with a gun. Threatening a baby with a gun, and it's and then there's another scene where is is he like smoking opium from a pipe bare naked, just like having a chat with. He's wearing like stirrups or something. Yeah. um, This is a film that opens with Charlie Hunnam getting a blowjob, and Charlie Hunnam's character is horrific, and he's got like his Newcastle accent on the go, and you're like. What's going on? Like this is just like Russell Crowe. Well, he in this is. As well. Is he? Not, is he not from Newcastle? He's from yeah, but it, but it's like it's, so it's meant to be English in it. Yeah, so I, that's fine. No, but it's just it's a rare opportunity, <laughs> I guess, for him to be 
proud son of Newcastle <laughs> as this disgusting. Uh, it's by design, as we say, it's meant to be like this scattershot, you know, abstract thing. Punk rock. And at the end of it, you got that big shootout where I guess if you're into the visual, if you want to go blind, <laughs> when they yeah. turn on all of the strobe lights, it's like, I can see what they're going for. I just thought it was cruddy, you know? Cruddy, that's my word of the day. <laughs> yeah, again, like... It's your Bart Simpson. <laughs> crummy. <laughs> it passed the time just fine for me. Um, another uh, movie release this year that I watched was The Assistant. This is kind of one of the first movies that's dealing with the um, the fallout from the Me Too movement. Um, it's basically set in a film production studio that is, for all intents and purposes, Miramax. There is a... Harvey Weinstein character in it who is never seen. So there is a version of this movie that would be quite clumsy and could handle its subject very, very terribly. This is a very confident, calm um, story about an assistant who's working in this office and who's starting to realise what's happening, uh, you know, from from the top down. And it's not so much interested in the abuser or the abuse it's more like the power structures and the kind of the the architecture that exists between uh in these places to to do all this it's really really good um kitty green i think it's her first movie very very impressive uh julia garner who's in that jason bateman show on netflix that everyone likes ozark yeah uh she's really really good in it um very much would recommend it and one last one that I've watched recently was I revisited The Host. Um, everyone's been going to Contagion during the COVID-19 <laughs> <laughs> uh, pandemic, but The Host actually works really well. Um, uh, Bong Joon-ho, I think, made it basically just after SARS. And there's like, I'd kind of forgotten, because I hadn't watched it in 10 or 12 years, um, just how much of a... Pandemic storyline kind of runs through it. Um, it's really, really good. The CGI hasn't aged. I don't think it was great to begin with, but I do admire kind of putting it right up there at the beginning and being like, well, this is it. You know, we're going to show you the monster straight away. Might not be great, but um, very, very funny. And it has an incredible sight gag for these times of uh, wear a face mask, which everyone should be doing. Is There's a, a bunch of people like at the traffic lights and it's like pissing down rain and there's like one person like they all have face masks on like one person's like starting to like splutter and cough and like they they like they take it off and everyone's like no 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 <laughs> and they're like they cough and then they like spit into a puddle and everyone's like oh. and then like a car drives by and just like <laughs> annihilates the puddle all into their face it's so so good Fong Jun Ho is a joy <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. On that uh, enjoyable, enchanting note there, we'll, uh, we'll dive into Victoria from 2015. Here's a taste of what that film sounds like. We have to do something. Please, can, can you help us? Okay. Yeah? No problem. I'm the big driver. Yeah. What's happening? I'm a bank. Limburgen Core. Wir wissen, dass in dem kleinen Tresor 50.000 Euro liegen. Und die will ich haben. Du schuldest mir was. Mach Hey. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, wir machen es. Hey, hey, wir machen es. You don't have to do this. Really, you don't have to do this. Sonna, I want to go with you.
guy, I just, I did a bad thing, okay? Victoria, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really sorry. So that's Victoria, 2015 German film. Critical darling in a lot of respects. And the gimmick is that it's all shot in one take. Uh, I believe they did three in total over three gimmick. nights. The gimmick is. I mean, uh, what, what, what word should we use? <laughs> technique. The technique. The mastery, David. The, ma- the mastery. <laughs> Sheer mastery. Okay, so I think the first thing I want to know before you go any further, because, you know, we use Letterboxd. You don't, you know, you, you put up a rating of a film. You, you, you know, it's like a diary. You put up what you watch. People can see that. I know that you watched this film a couple weeks ago. I've seen it before. I've gone on record that I like it. Dahi's obviously a super fan, judging by his instant defensiveness there. <laughs> and I think Norm likes it quite a lot as well. My prediction, David Higgins, is that you think this film is a three out of five. Well, yeah, so normally I would put a rating up for a movie, but just because now that you've joined Letterboxd and I just think it could be interesting for us to not know exactly. Like, I, I know your feelings on this movie. So it's like, oh, maybe it would just be uh, something different. So I, I held back my rating. But maybe I was also holding it back because I was trying to decide what my pithy letterbox review would be. Would it be, you know, when I used to go out, I knew everyone I saw. Now I go out alone if I go out at all. Or should it be, there's a club if you'd like to go. You might meet someone who might really love you. So you go and you stand on your own and you leave on your own. And you go home and you cry and you want to die. Or would I simply go for... I'm still dancing on my own. <laughs> um, so you've really thought about this. I have thought about this. No, I, I, I like this movie. I, I think it's really good. Okay, yes. interesting. Yes. I, I thought, I, I, for some reason I had a feeling... Considering, can I just say, he's in a household where when you walk in our front door, there's a framed picture of the movie <laughs> poster. Also, when we came in here today, not only was like on the television screen, hello, Fontaine's again, um, uh, <laughs> coinciding with the album release, I, I don't know when this You're episode's obsessed, coming out. It, it's the week of the album release, okay? Uh, when we're what recording. is with you? But there was, on Dahi's big screen TV, there was the soundtrack playing and the artwork, and then casually mm. laid out, oh, this thing on the chair over there. Final Vinyl yeah, that's that's of correct. Niels Fromm's soundtrack. There's, we'll, there's we'll a talk full about Blu-ray that. around here. I own maybe five Blu-rays of the film. No, <laughs> <laughs> just in case one breaks. Okay, uh, how about some background of this movie? Um, it's it's a very very simple one. Uh, the director Sebastian uh, Shipper was basically was thinking about robbing a bank, and that was kind of the genesis of it. Um, he came up with this idea. It's like a very short treatment for a movie. I think the entire script is 12 pages um and kind of they went from there and then i think as a challenge to himself you you might know this a bit better like Mm. because there is it it was filmed as a kind of a plan b it was filmed as a a normal like movie yeah so that if if things really went bad because it's low budget they only got three shots at it to do uh, the one take yeah but they had that kind of as a backup backup. to basically go to the financiers and be like if this if we really make a mess of this the, yeah, we I can kind of come back yeah the financiers requested yeah. that there also be a version that is edited so Usable. Sebastian Shipper has said that he has a version like locked in a safe away somewhere that only he has seen that is the edited, edited. version in case like the other three like uh, one take ones just went complete and so, hang on, just clarify there's been no disputing that this is without question one, of, one, finish, take, one, one of the take. only like one take genuine no tricks no hiding there's no, no hiding no nothing I think with Birdman didn't they say it's one take but it wasn't Birdman it's, is loads, they, loads they, of takes they kind of like Birdman was promoted in the style of one take so it was that they were going to use like 
camera techniques and certain moments to create the illusion, but there are cuts in it. Same with 1917 was heavily promoted as a one take thing, but there's like in 1917, there's very obvious cuts at points. Yeah. And then other ones are a bit more veiled. Um, This is 100% continuous take. Never stops. Continuous take. Never stops. And Mm. which is. 140 minutes. And really incredible. Shot, uh, I think it like between like half four in the morning and seven a.m. Yeah, so you get this beautiful brilliant. like magic hour early morning thing where throughout the film you get the sun rising throughout the actual film, so that by the end it's like the daytime when it starts off in the dead of night. It's amazing. Yeah, which is fantastic. Yeah, and um, it looks incredible through the whole thing. Even like there's some very like scenes that would you would kind of generally might find a little bit boring like the second time when they're in a taxi and he's coming back out and they've just uh, like experienced all this stuff but because of the color of the morning and like the way it's set up and stuff there's a real sense of place in each of the scenes because of the the literal light in the time or whatever you know there's also like i don't know how apocryphal this is or how true it is but there's apparently like so the three takes were taken in total of the one take version over yeah. three different nights and this is the final one and apparently like it was a case of like if we don't get it now we'll never get it yeah. and this is my last shot at doing this the other two fucked up for some reason yeah and it was like this is like we got it like they nailed it at the last possible try and by all accounts apparently they they didn't actually nail it apparently there's like so for instance there's one part where she's driving in the car and goes the wrong way which is not scripted and they have to in character like reverse the car turn around go back the other way and it makes sense in the context of the film and apparently there's another part where one of the actors starts losing his focus and isn't able to get his point across and one of the act- other actors just tells him to shut up so that like they can just keep going so there's literally a part where like, he's going like shut up today like yeah. I think one of the characters where like he's kind of I think like he got he got his words wrong because they don't make sense in the moment and he's like oh I'm drunk and it's yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> like there is uh, there is kind of like the trickiest thing about the idea of doing one take because both Dahi and I have worked on a short film that was one take that's only 15 minutes and my god that was difficult in itself (laughs) (laughs) is that there's a level of like rehearsal involved beforehand where it's like everyone needs to know where they're going cars are picking people up moving people around like props need to be ready to go at a moment's notice but the trickiest thing from a performance perspective is that once you start you cannot stop so there's no like oh, I fucked up my line sorry guys well, we'll just reset like it's just you have got to keep going can you imagine getting to the two hour mark <laughs> and something goes wrong and something goes wrong and you're like oh, I just we have to keep going so there is like when you think about it on that level it is incredible that they got to 140 minutes yeah and like the dedication from the actors and that one cameraman, I assume it's one cameraman. Yeah, just yeah. one. Because uh, it's quite the entire time. At the end of the film, like the first credit to come up is the cameraman. Like the first credit comes up, not the director, not nobody. It's just like, fair play, man. Holy shit. Like that was amazing. <laughs> There's a couple of things that I think like really helps them in the sense of like achieving the kind of the one, the one shot thing. I think one of the main things is the fact that they're, a lot of the film is done through their second language. So there's a really interesting way where uh, the dialogue doesn't have to be like bulletproof and it doesn't have to sound amazing because they're speaking in their second language. So even if they fluff up their lines a little bit or they, they can't get something across, it still works in a sense and actually avoids some of the cheese that I think happens in a lot of these one-shot like films. Like I really didn't like 1917 because it was these sections. I mean, the, the major con of, a, of, of, a, of doing a one-shot film is that like you have to sit with characters in parts where there's nothing happening. And this film like does it really well in terms of like they're just having a night out and they're really believable and then 
obviously then the music is then the piece that brings them. It's like the vehicle that brings them from scene to scene, which is some of the best use of music I've ever seen in a film where there's just like sections where you don't, they don't even have to say anything and they can be talking, but it doesn't matter what they're saying because you're trying to get them to the next scene. The perfect example is when they're going from the club just outside the shop to the top of the roof. And it's just like music cuts. They're just lads on a night out. Everybody's going to this party and stuff. Doesn't matter what they're saying. Doesn't matter at all. So you just fill in, fill it in with this like beautiful music and you just get to experience it with them all the way up. And then it makes that scene on the rooftop that much more special because you've traveled up there with them. Like I, I keep thinking about that one that edit where you have like cuts in it and it it'd be a disaster. Like you cut to that rooftop shop and it's not like, it wouldn't be impressive at all. Like it'd be terrible. That's uh, like that, that is actually one of the clips I've got queued up. So mm. thank you for queuing it up. Talking. That's what we <laughs> listen to. So basically you're going to get some atmosphere here, basically of people on the street going to a rooftop and then uh, you'll hear kind of the mixture of, I guess, kind of diegetic sound and then the music coming in and then we'll talk about what the plot is all about. Go in, go in, go in. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. track there is our own roof from the superb soundtrack from neil's from real quick before we get into the plot one question um i assume right i mean i don't know how it was in the short film that you guys worked on which by the way by all means plug it you know <laughs> um, it's called halo but directed by michael david mckeon <laughs> the award-winning uh, it is do you have to um employ a, a, an individual to basically like be there for like oh, here's a drunk person coming down the street. Like someone who's like, get the fuck away. Like, I mean, like, how do you possibly block everything off? Well, this is the interesting thing in Victoria is that they couldn't get a permit to lock down certain sections of the streets. So at one point, a police car goes by that is not their police car. It's like actual police. It's an actual police car. Um, There is also a section later on in the movie. um, One of the characters after, I mean... We're, we're at spoilers now, I guess. I will we'll, just we'll, say yeah. real quick, for anyone who's listened to us so far and hasn't seen the film, honestly, turn this off and go watch it because it is better to go in blind. Yeah, to it, not it, know It really, anything. really is. Even the yeah. poster of the film, I'm actually kind of annoyed at the tagline because it kind of gives... Because I watched it with you and we can talk about that mm-hmm. experience as well later, but like, I knew fucking nothing apart from it was shot in one take, it was set in Berlin, and it was by a girl named Victoria. That's all you need to know. Honestly, just dive the fuck in, come yeah. back to us, we'll still be here. Short answer to that question, you would have people, you would have people who are like, in follow cars so when they're like in a car there's definitely like this crew on every side to sort of manage that like 
Yeah. Fingers crossed no one just walks in <laughs> the, at any point. There's also little things parts going wrong. that you see in Victoria as well, where there's these moments like uh, in the hotel room, the phone rings. And I think that's her cue to leave the hotel room, if you know what I mean. So they have a couple of different audio cues in different places that just tells them to go to certain places. And for instance, there's phone calls involved. So somebody gets a phone call and that's their cue to move off from that to the next place, you know. It's a lot you of can also there. kind of work out from the film geography that... uh the set more than likely is set up in a circular mm-hmm. track kind of form that it's all centered around this one area. Yeah, they uh, don't go too far. Yeah, they never, they never actually they, travel very far out of it. It's a couple of, well, once they get into a car, like they go a couple of blocks, but they're basically, they start in Kreuzberg and then they kind of go a little bit north to Mitte, but it's not, it's not very, very far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Higgs, spoil the fuck out of this thing. <laughs> okay, um, so will we just jump into the plot then? Work away, man. Um, so yeah, so this movie is, if you've seen, uh, about a Spanish woman named Victoria who has moved to Berlin uh, from Madrid. She's in her early 20s and working in a in a cafe. Uh, we, we meet her first. She's in a club. She is dancing on her own and... Kind of the thing you, you kind of, first thing that kind of struck me about it was that she's, you know, she's going up to the bar and she's ordering a drink and she's trying to talk to the bartender and he's like very aloof and you can see that she's trying to make a connection with him. She's like offering to buy him a drink and he's just like, oh no, whatever. So um, she decides to leave the club um, and just as she's about to leave in true German fashion, here come to die Zona. Uh, she, she meets uh, Zona, Boxer, uh, Fuss and Blinker. Four lads who are like basically trying to get into the club, but apparently they, like, they have no money and they're kind of like getting kicked out. Um, she goes to leave to go to work and kind of gets into a conversation with them. They're kind of like maybe trying to steal a car. <laughs> uh, but she seems kind of like a little bit taken with them. They're paying attention to her, which seems like a, a big thing for her. You know, clearly if she's in a nightclub at four in the morning on her own, she's a lonely person in a different city. She kind of goes on this odyssey with them, I guess. Uh, it, it kind of starts off small. They they go to a, a, a Spadikoff, which is like a late night drink store, and then they go up and they thought he was saying like they go up and uh, sit on a rooftop and they're drinking beers and she's kind of getting to know them a little bit. Um, she eventually departs from them and goes to work. She's brought back to her uh, cafe by Sana and they kind of have this lovely moment together again, like they're making a connection and then he leaves uh, and then a little bit later he comes back and things kind of <laughs> start to take a bit of a dark turn. All hell breaks loose. Yeah, essentially. Uh, at that point, the film kind of kicks into its gear of what is really what what is really going on. It turns out the lads are uh, so they're presented as kind of you know lovableish roustabouts. You know, they're not too threatening. They're very charming, considering they're like maybe not the nicest of people. Yeah, and like they're charming, but they're all they're, they're clearly very immature. You know, like there's a few uh, there's a few f bombs in this movie. There's a yeah, few there or, is. few or bombs in this movie, and it's yeah. like fair enough. No, but truth to life, though, I think. But in terms the thing, of those I mean, like, like I'm not like I was watching Scott Pilgrim versus the World there, uh, like the night before recording this with my housemate, and there was some moments where it was like, ah, oh, come on, like it's just like like kind of some some vague racism stuff, very mild. Mm. But again, I'm like these these guys are like fucking early twenties. Like, I'm not excusing it, but like you can't apply like. You can have you can also have characters in your movie that aren't fully mature and fully enlightened. Like it's just like 
if every character was like that in a movie, it would be incredibly unrealistic. And oftentimes in life, people can look back on their own lives and be like, oh, yeah, that was actually really awful of me. I didn't even realize what I was saying. So I'm not like, I don't bristle. I bristle because I'm like, oh, no, Bill and Ted don't drop the F-bomb. <laughs> they, they are like a gang of lads who consider themselves like real Berliner boys. Mm. I think that's the thing they keep Tough guys. repeating. But it's also like yeah. wildly homoerotic. Like they're dropping the F-bomb while like wrestling each other and like two of them later. It's very the blaze territory is how I take them. So yeah. it's like, it, like it is that kind of thing of like, okay, you guys are just fucking kids. Um, but yeah, so essentially the crux of it is that one of them um, did time in jail and got protection from some crew and now they want them to do something for them and one of the guys is so drunk that he passes out. Sana uh, recruits Victoria into whatever's going on. No one seems to know what it is. Turns out that they have to rob a bank, uh, which kind of comes out of nowhere. They go to this underground car park and the sharp-suited man who looks a bit like um, cheap Jeremy Irons and Die Hard 3 cosplay. <laughs> some bloke. Um, He's very, like, German... Oh yeah, villain. He could, be like a, he, could be, he could be a football manager like me. And like, um, <laughs> that's Bundesliga. Um, but essentially, like um, they go, uh, they're they're also they're given drugs. Like it's, it's like six in the morning, whatever. They're given drugs and they have to rob this bank. Like they're basically forced to do it. Um, they do so. Cops come after them pretty quickly after they stop at a nightclub. It's very apparent that these people are not professional criminals and they've been like strong armed in a situation where they could be easy fall guys. And then by the end of the movie, it all goes horrendously wrong. Um, pretty much the entire crew get killed and Victoria loses the one connection that she had made that night and perhaps whatever. And in her life, possibly. The last shot of it is, is of her kind of walking off alone into an unknown future. Um, my opinion is she's getting picked up by the cops pretty quick. <laughs> like, I mean, think, oh, yeah, I think she's on. gotten away with it. I don't completely. think. Completely. So. And the money. Now, I, I I think she's... I mean, like, that, that's the hopeful ending, but I'm like, nah, man. There, but the whole idea is that she has no friends, she has no connection to anyone, no one knows where she lives, Very where she works. traceable, though, I would say. I don't know. I feel like... They, she, she did go into, like, you know... A four to five star hotel just off Unterden Linden. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be some Where cameras. there's going to be some security yeah, cameras. Yeah, yeah. And also, the criminal is probably going to want his money, isn't he? Oh, he said, uh, no, he said he was taking a cut of 10 grand. Oh, yeah, but she has the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, he I seems see like he'll well. be fine either way. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So, yeah, it's a bit of um, it's a bit of a bleak affair by the end of it. But uh, it's it's a rousing experience. So, you, okay, so I've seen it twice now. You've seen it a few times. Yeah, a lot, yeah. And you as well, I think. Yes. How was it for you on a first run in terms of just an overall thing? Um, yeah, really good. Like, I, as I said, like, I do really like it. I don't think... I don't think the decisions that are made in it like fully add up for me. I feel like at at some point, like I I guess the um, I get the fact that Victoria is very lonely and that like she's kind of you know trying to make a connection with people. But I kind of feel at some point you'd be like, oh okay, let's fuck this amount here. Um, but I do think that that the way that it's done, and I particularly with it being one shot and it not cutting away that. It kind of makes every decision, which invariably get more far-fetched, it makes some split decisions. And in the split decision, you can make a wrong decision. And so I do think that um, makes it a bit more believable, even though like it is incredibly far-fetched. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's an experience. I From the minute it started... Um, where, you know, you open up basically on a strobe um, in the club. There's that, like, track playing. It's like, I was, like, fully committed to it. It's very much, if you've been to Berlin, and it's a city that I love, like, it it has such a good sense of place about it. Like, even, like, them 
walking around the streets, going into the, the, the Spades to buy like beers. It's just like, it's the perfect city as well for something to do like this. Like it is a city that like, you know, basically doesn't stop, you know, on a weekend. Like it starts on Friday and then, you know, you know, you party all weekend and then you go to work at 8am on Monday morning. And it's like, it's the perfect city to have like an all-nighter, which I think um, makes this work so much more. Like there's there's almost like a logic to going on an all-nighter, like a, an internal logic that makes no sense if you're removed from it, but just like as you go on an all-nighter with like out with your mates and it's just like you're going from place to place, like at some point you should be like, oh, this, what are we doing? Like, let's just go home. But um it really taps into that really really well um very compelling from the like the whole way through like i didn't know where it was going to go like i had thoughts about where it was going to go and i was like please don't go where i think it's going to go <laughs> yes exactly and like i, 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 I never had, I had, had that moment reaction i had the exact same and, and i and dahi like, so dahi loves this movie and has championed it for quite some time um and i remember we watched it at the start of the year mm-hmm. uh, how naive we were i was like we're gonna watch so many movies and do all lots of things this year <laughs> maybe the cinema we're gonna go to gigs oh hang on we've no. watched a lot of movies inside our <laughs> prisons norma <laughs> Did you watch them? It's true, yeah. Um, well, I, I have ample time on my hands. So, I mean, like, essentially, um, uh, we were sitting here watching this in your gaff in January, and, like, at the very start, when she's hanging out with the four lads, and they're a bit roused to Betty, and she's, they're, they're, all, like, they're trying very hard. They're working overtime uh, to get her to, like, hang out with them. Um, Sana, in particular, at first, you're like, oh, this guy's a bit of a fucking, I don't know, man, he's a bit, like, up front. Um, actually, let, let's take a quick blast of audio, because it does flip between English and German. So this is, like... When they've just met and they go to that, uh, what's the name of the place where they take the beer for nothing? It's called a Spadikoff. It basically just means like late night buying or late buying. Higgs is just flexing right now. <laughs> I, in terms of, why was I ever nervous that you wouldn't like this film? Like, it's just <laughs> exactly. hanging out in Germany for two and a half Looking hours. Looking at delicious beer fridges. Okay, well, so they go, um, uh, this is them going into a, a beer shop. Uh, not paying. So that's what that sounds like. After you, after you. Okay. Yo, Faro Pekka. Faro? Snipping. <laughs> what do you want? Faro. Sorry. Hey, no, no, no. Don't, don't wake him up in his dreams. Okay. Maybe he's having a good dream, you know? Yeah, but... Just... Are you stealing? No, 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 perhaps tomorrow. Perhaps tomorrow. I don't want to work. It's a friend of mine, really. I swear, it's a friend of mine. Okay. I'm not in there. I'm going to see this. I pay him tomorrow. I know him very long time. Yeah, like that That was your shop. It was? Yeah, it is my shop. <laughs> So the criminality is on this place right away. She should have known. She should have walked, should have walked straight away, man. That's why I would have <laughs> She done. knows. But like, she knows. She knows. She's it, part it's, of it's still all very innocent, and you know, and, and I, I do buy into the interactions. But yeah, but there was like, you know, when they like go to like a, a more secluded remote place, I was just like, if this film takes the turn, I'm fearing it's going to take. And then you told me that when you watched it. Yeah, I watched it first with Brendan Canty and I was like. Is this is this seriously what we're going to watch now? And it's just like it's only just started, and it lo- literally looks like 
like a like a warning ad for like <laughs> for rape or something like it's like really intensely like yeah the I, was lads, like, the, I was like this is going to turn like, horrific isn't it like, like yeah. this, this can only get horrible in that way and thank god it never did but there is some, there is something to the fact that like when you first come across those lads when i first watched it and even when i watched it the last time as well you kind of go like these are the lads where if you're walking down the street you'd be like oh god like i don't want to go near these guys but then it's a testament to the writing and to the acting that like by within about 30 minutes you're like these guys are class i love them they're really sound and everything like that they really grow on you like very quickly i think like they have a dangerous element to them but i don't think they ever it ever feels like they actually pose a massive threat to her yeah um which is nice and they have a really beautiful dynamic all those actors together um leia costa is the lead victoria um, and her and Frederick Lau, who plays Sonnet, um, they have really beautiful chemistry together. And, uh, like, I, ima- I imagine they had to do quite a lot of rehearsals of how scenes would play out, um, before actually going to film a take. So they've obviously spent a lot of time together and they all seem like really relaxed in each other's company. Um, and I think that works really, really well in the film. Mm. So, yeah, in terms of, I have the same kind of like, why would she make these choices? Like, surely you would just go home or be like, I'm out of here now. This is too much. And I did. I remember like when the film was over, I kind of turned to you immediately and I was like, I really, really like that. But I'm just a little bit kind of like confused by some of the decisions that were made there. I just don't really necessarily buy yeah. them. Um, I think you had a good response to it. I think you were like, you've already identified it. It's like the idea that that she's cripplingly lonely, that she knows nobody, has made no friends in the city and my my kind of extra take on it, I mean, when myself and Norma watched it last, like, there was, we both had kind of came away with a kind of a different understanding of, of what Victoria is like as a character. Because one of the big takeaways for me is that amazing scene where she's playing piano and then has to explain, basically, that she she has this amazing line about it. It's like, oh, I played for seven hours a day to become this, like, famous, like, amazing pianist. So, like, she has spent her entire life playing piano and doing nothing else. So, to me, the Victoria character has absolutely zero life experience. It's almost like a Mr. Bean thing. She just like appears out of nowhere with absolutely no life experience, which to me kind of explains why she just goes along with everything as she's going along. She's just like, she doesn't think about consequences because she hasn't had that in her life at all. She's just been playing piano for seven hours a day for her entire life. And, and then like she meets these people and suddenly there's friends who she's not competing with like the people she was competing with before and she just goes along with stuff because she doesn't think of consequences and then there's that really harrowing scene at the end when she's left alone again and it's a real like out of body like absolute terrible grief where she's less upset about like <laughs> robbing a bank and getting into all this trouble and more upset about like losing the one sense of connection to the world that she has, if you know what I mean. I've been, I've been, I don't know the name, how do you say that? I've been in the conservatory, you know, when I was, I was in the conservatory and I cannot continue in the conservatory because I'm not good enough. They sent me just to finish my piano career or something like that. Because they're stupid or what? <laughs> no, it's okay. I but prefer No, no, that. really, but... Because it's, 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 it's amazing, it's like, you know, I... No, it's not amazing, you, don't, you maybe don't know that, but... I don't know, I've been like, I've been 16 and a half years practicing, playing the piano every day, like seven hours every day. Seven is like the maximum, you cannot play more because you can hurt your arms and that stuff. 
and it's a really hard life because you have no you have no life you have no friends well the friends are like your your the other guys that are in the conservatory but they are not your friends but they are like your enemy yeah, I, know, I know what you mean because they are they are fighting for your dream too mm. and then you but was it your dream not play? anymore mm -hmm. no because it's you you are you you can become a but i don't know i was just thinking for my friends they should fail in their exams because then i would have like more opportunities for me and and it was just because our teacher said to us that just the 90% of us we are losing our time it's really difficult no. to become yeah but i know yeah it's really difficult to become a real pianist player and it's better like this yeah, you so know when i when i was 12 i can remember I was like, like an old lady, just playing always the fucking piano. On that piano moment, it's interesting as well that they have, he asks her what it's called, and it's like the devil's waltz. And she's like, he's like, oh, you like the devil? And she's like, yeah, I like the devil. And he's like, I like the devil too. And it's like, ooh, flirting. Um, but it's also a hint at the fact that I think she wants the danger. Like, she's like, I've led this very bland, innocent life and now I am up to get into all sorts of trouble. And probably isn't thinking about the ultimate consequences, but is... Yeah, I always felt like it was believable that she would go along with this because, again, and this is where I think the um, the one-take thing is so apt and works so well with this, is that you just feel like you're on a mental night out with her and it's half four in the morning and someone's like, we should do this. And you're like, well, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And, um, that building up of that two hour kind of run and all the decisions that are made. And like, she wants something to happen. She needs like a, an event, like something to mark this time in her life and pull her out of this, like sort of weird little reclusive life that she's like led so far with her piano. Um, so yeah, that's a extremely beautiful scene um, with the piano scene, I'll call it. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah also, like, in the uh, cafe. It's um, absolutely stunning. As Dahi notes, um, that bit at the end where she has that kind of just like intensely guttural reaction to the the death of mm. poor Sana, who does not make it, uh, who bleeds out in a four-star hotel, uh, <laughs> the way that we all want to go, am I right? <laughs> but like, um, watching Sky News. But yeah, wa wa watching a confirmation news that his friends have died in a shootout with the police. Um, essentially, like, the thing that reminds me the most of, and like, this is one of those great, like, modern kind of happy accidents where uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo, David Fincher version, which I think is very, very good. I think it doesn't quite get the credit it deserves. Um... And the fact that neither Fincher nor Diane Craig nor Rooney Mara came back for any kind of follow-up. You know, there was another film from that series, but it involved different actors, different crew, everything, and it's nowhere near as good. It's a pretty bad movie. Um, but the fact that if you've seen Girls Dragon Tattoo, um, it ends with, like, the titular character getting her heart broken and, like, motorcycling off into the night, into the into the snow, um, with no resolution on that and there never will be because there's never going to be a fucking sequel but like there's a pivotal moment where she's talking to her caretaker who is now like in a home and you know doesn't have much cognitive ability anymore and they're playing chess 
and she says, I made a friend. And it was that notion of this character who never previously could have this, had it, and then at the end of it gets her fucking heart wrenched out of her. And it's like, I thought there was very, very similar parallels there. Um, mm. Neither film, though, will make you walk away feeling great about life, though. So nice <laughs> to be aware about that. But yeah, so not, not enough to convince uh, Judge, Jury, and Executioner David Higgins over here, though, no? In terms of her decision-making? The believe, yeah, the believe... Uh, it, I feel like I, I was bringing, like, a lot of... Um, sort of my own experiences maybe to try and like empathize with her so like like years ago when I went to live in like another country and like I knew a couple of people there but it was like I was like in my early 20s knew a couple of people but I found that like more so than I would say you know living in Dublin that like when you know when you know one or two people you really really lean on them because otherwise it is very easy to feel lonely in a city that's not your own city and you know you don't have your 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 kind of extended network of friends you don't have your your family around and then when you'd meet someone and you'd like start to become friends with them you'd I'd, I'd notice I'd be like well I'm really doing the heavy lifting in this in, in this in this relationship because because they already have loads of other friends and like to me they can be like oh I made another friend well to me like in, at that time it'd be like it was more important for me to have a friend so I can kind of empathize with how Victoria is in this and that she's like even if she's probably like, ah, oh, these guys are a little sketch. I mean, like there, there is a scene where on the rooftop and like boxers just like I showing really her his like yeah, knuckle yeah. tattoos. Cause he yeah. fucks someone up and it's like, okay. There's actually, there's a, um, on the Blu-ray DVD for anyone who, who wants to get That was it. a weird humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> Not just any I feel DVD. like that. <laughs> Blu-ray. Uh, there's a director's commentary. So it goes through the entire film with, uh, Sebastian Shipper, uh, just talking about it and talking about the process and he calls up a few different people and they add in commentary as well but um oh no I've completely lost what I was gonna say was it, was it with the Guardian um with the Guardian piece that kind of put to him that like they were like oh well it must be this kind of idea of a princess and the oh, no, four sorry, no I know exactly what I was gonna say can we <laughs> cut that out is that doable <laughs> Sure, although it's one take, Norman. Like, <laughs> oh my god, the panic of like, that! It, it, I was just it, like, it, really my like, worst nightmare is that I lose my train of thought and I can't get it back. It'd be really like, you know, kind of like in the spirit of the uh, of the film we've watched. I yeah. feel like you know we're going to do this. Oh no, oh, we're leaving it. Okay, we're, we're leaving it. In. Great, but you have your train of thought back, uh, and I want to hear the. No, I've thing. lost it again. <laughs> oh, now you know how hard it is to make a film like this. Don't you say the Guardian thing again? It worked. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, so he was a. Uh, Talking in the commentary about how um, there's like a large section of like the first kind of section of the film for meeting the guys. You feel like you're like, oh, when is the thing going to kick in? Like, when is the like the action and all the stuff going to start happening? Um, and it is kind of a slow build up to then it starts hitting in and things start to move really, really fast. And the director in the commentary was saying that um, he needed the gang, I guess, to be able to go through something together before they could actually go and do this bank heist thing. So it was like going up to the roof and that was a really big moment and like that connection. So it kind of, he was basically trying to explain that her choices aren't so out of the blue because they'd already had these kind of moments and like um, Boxer talking about jail and like having these sort of connections and her caring for these guys and trying to build that up. And I think that moment on the roof is also really, really beautiful as well. And the music. 
is also very, very beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. What was it you were saying about the whole... Uh, yeah, one of the other things that he says in the commentary, the director, um, he said that when he was being interviewed by The Guardian, The Guardian um, brought up this... Um, they they made this kind of like points to this thing where it's like oh well she's obviously like the princess and they're like the four beasts was it or something four like wolves? that the four wolves yeah yeah and it's like a fairy tale story and he was like I didn't think about that at all that's not how I thought about <laughs> yeah. it at all and like you can see where somebody would look at it kind of going like oh well there's these these four bad guys who Rupters, are like yeah. leading yeah. her astray but as Norma says like I think she's probably right in that like the Victoria like like isn't some sweet innocent angel she's just very innocent in terms of like her maturity but she's up for doing stuff and you can even see when she's in the club and everything like she's very much like she wants the full berlin experience she wants to go a bit mental after a life of being so incredibly um uh uh like encased in this one thing that she was focusing on or whatever and this is like the world has now opened up to her um so yeah yeah, just uh, on that point, what you were saying, Norma, uh, another thing that Sebastian Schipper was saying about her is that, like, you know, he sees her as, like, a megalomaniac. So, like, you you would probably need to be a megalomaniac to, to be able to commit to that level of, you know, becoming a professional uh, piano player. Like, mm. investing so much your entire life into it that when that was taken away from her, it's like she needed an outlet for it. And then suddenly, you know okay, maybe crime <laughs> is, That's the, way is the outlet. Maybe three deaths on my conscience <laughs> for the rest of my days that I will never, ever Do you forget. think her and Sana would have lasted? Absolutely. I think it's a what, forever story. I hope. Like a Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> but like, I, well, their well, chemistry yeah. is amazing. Like. Yeah. I, I don't buy uh, Frederick Lau as... Yeah, that, that's one of my things. Like, I, I, I'm not... That he, he had a shot with her. Yeah, I don't, I don't this believe This was my problem that. when I saw it. I was like, really? Yeah, I don't I, find I, him that charming. I found it really interesting. Uh, I think it was probably on the director's commentary as well. And like, you know, my God, get someone who sees you the way Sebastian Schipper sees Frederick Lau. Because he was like, he's like a young Brando. And I'm like, I'm not seeing this. I would have actually liked to have seen uh, Franz Rogowski, you know, give him, don't shave his head. Like, yeah, yeah. I feel like he's kind of a bit more captivating and like he would have been maybe a bit more interesting as someone that bit, I could see making a connection with her. But yeah. he I just, was a bit taken by Foose. Foose, And then yeah. he just ends up passed out in the back of the car. Yeah. <laughs> He's like a lad, he shows his arse and fukes. And <laughs> I was like, he seems real sweet. I don't know. <laughs> I, th- I think Sonic comes across as this like, like really well thought out young man character who is obviously the leader of his group i think like there's this amazing scene where part where there, he's leaving the rooftop with her and it's like this classic young man thing where he's like yeah i'm off i got the girl this is class and then like he does an amazing like he has an amazing way of like kind of having this like overconfidence and swagger that he's like going back to this cafe with this girl and then there's these moments where he like like fumbles it and then she has to pick up his like stupid young man stuff and like fumbles it again and then like gets back his footing again and like there's this lovely play that he does between overconfidence and like and just being like a kind of an innocent young lad kind of thing I I, I really really like the I they also have a they have a yeah. ridiculous like Spider-Man-esque kiss at oh, one point down one and outside the club yeah. so after they've succeeded in robbing the bank yes they succeed <laughs> <laughs> all the happily um, ever after she's being carried out of the club 
club on Boxer's shoulder. Like he does kind of like a fireman throw over, but she's um, facing upward. And then as they're walking out of the club, he manages to like kiss her in that position. I was like, this is a bit ridiculous, but also it's been like, they've just robbed a bank. So and I they're guess they're all pretty high. Coke as well, <laughs> yeah. I, I think the fact that he looks a little bit like a childhood bully I had put me off him. But, you know, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh God, yeah, he does look like that guy. I wonder what that guy's doing now. Um, here's the thing, right? Um, I'll, play, I'll play a bit of audio here uh, because it is when they go to the club post yeah. uh, post bank robbery there's a really great transition I think in terms of like you know the just the club still being alive and I love I, I love the little detail of like you know it's the club you're in the start of it so they come back down and obviously it's the same barman it's just like you return to the yeah. same kind of spot which is pretty cool um, but there's a great moment where they, where they pull out all that sound and they play for what for me uh, the best piece of music in the movie which mm-hmm. sounds like this I agree bad, 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 bad. give me whiskey alter give me alter whiskey British That's them by Niels from, and uh, it's a beautiful moment. And yeah, they're in the club. They start kissing. The other two lads are out of their minds. And the other two lads seem to be recreating a, a very famous scene, the Arthur's Day scene don't, in Temple Bar. Don't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it, it almost gets it, there. It, no, it's there, <laughs> uh, except yeah. for maybe the final motion of that uh, infamous scene. Yeah, he doesn't play him like the fucking guitar in From Dusk Till Dawn. <laughs> yeah, like, but there, there is like. I feel like a handstand. Oh yeah, handstand. Yeah. Is there uh, a push up? all over the place. Yeah, it's like a real deal. But that's that scene is like I think that's probably the scene where when I first watched it it was like it's like okay, this has gone from like like a really really good film that I'm really enjoying to like top 10 films of the entire like my top 10. Well, okay, let's talk about the music because obviously mm. you're a huge fan. For anyone who doesn't know who Neil's from is uh, yeah, he's um, kind of a, a very modern pianist composer from Berlin um, who is part of this kind of new school of uh, classical musicians who are very kind of thinking outside the box and take a lot of the, 
I guess the the Berlin um, ethos in with them into kind of classical music and stuff like that. So the the majority of the music is done by Niels Fram and a group of his friends, um, and it's quite interesting actually because uh, he was given a lot of free reign to record the music uh, for the record, and apparently they recorded it in a studio um, in Berlin where they just played the film on loop. And him and his mates basically just did these run-throughs of the film and just played music over the entire thing and then pulled pieces out of them to get the music at the very end. So, like, a lot of the music comes from this first watch where a lot him and a lot of his friend musicians who hadn't seen the film are just watching it at the first time. They're experiencing the art of the film and creating at the same time and creating the music for the film on first watch which is you know these musicians are the best musicians in the world and like it's just an absolutely incredible thing um the music is for my money like one of the reasons why the the one shot works so well in the film as i said before like the the way you use it as a vehicle to get from one spot to another is incredible um it's really really beautiful a lot of it i mean it it does a lot of classic stuff that a lot of score work would do in a film you know it it kind of it's used to build tension and it's used to build like the beauty in the shots and stuff and then there's parts where it's kind of like you know the scary parts or whatever so it does a lot of very classic things that a score should do but just does it in such a way that's um really really simple and beautiful and if you listen to the music on its own it almost sounds like a sci-fi thing but just with like natural acoustic instruments and stuff one of the like the nice things about that as well is um like in film generally you cut away from a scene to kind of leave a moment sit and create space and room for the audience Mm. to sort of take it in so if you have a film where there's no cuts the music has to create that sense of space and leave you sort of like consume and process what's Mm. just happened and I think the music does that like perfectly in this film there's a lot of like the music is quite like the notes are sort of played and let play out and they kind of hang there a lot of the time there's a lot of like organ sounds and like I think there's like a drone one at one point Mm. that kind of pull draws out those notes to give you the space to be like okay I can actually take in these moments and what's happening and like really um beautifully as well there's times where um the dialogue will cut out of the film and the music will come in so you will see them continue to speak and like motions continue to happen while the music sits on top of it particularly in the just before they go to the roof that scene um they, I think it's Fuss, Victoria and Blinker, Blinker yeah, are in a lift lifts. together and they're chatting away and you're like, oh, that conversation is just really interesting, but there's no, no um, film sound. It's just, I think, I think the song is actually called On Our Roof. Yeah, our own roof. Our Sorry, own roof, our yeah. own roof. Um, and it's just a really, really beautiful moment because um, in the director's commentary as well, he was saying that a lot of people were like, oh, did you, did someone mess up a line in the lift scene? And that's why you put the music over it. And he was like, no, the dialogue from the lift scene is actually gorgeous. And it's frustrating that it's not in there, but that like cutting out the dialogue to put that music over it was definitely the right choice. And it uh, just creates really beautiful moments in the film. Something I love about the, about the score is that like, it's not just a situation where, although it is, but it's not just, 
I can hear the weight of the keys, which I love, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of Hayden Thorpe thing, that kind yeah, of yeah. whatever. But it's also, I can see like dust swirling, like in, yeah. in, in like amongst There's little it all. brains in the There's music. There's a weird like dust, sense yeah. of physicality to it all, even though it's not a very overbearing score. But uh, as for the DJ Cuzza stuff, that was you, like, hook it to my veins, was it? <laughs> <laughs> Just, Just as an opener, yeah. It's like, it's, it's really intense. It's like, it's really propulsive, but it's really ominous. Um, yeah, it's it's been on constant repeat. Just on the onto uh, Niels Frams them like that scene. I'd agree. Like that's like you're like okay, yeah. I'm watching a moment yeah. right now when it happens. I think um, it's like a, this incredible release. Like you know, or, or, or I kind of felt after they 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 robbed the bank, they're not getting away with it. Yeah, this is their moment. This is like yeah. the one bit. This is the kind of euphoria that they get to have before. I mean, if you're going to take drugs, there's a euphoric moment and then maybe there's going to be a come down <laughs> and you know, the come down's coming, but like, you're going to leave your friend in the boot of a car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like he'll be okay. He, he's the one guy who can be like, I was asleep. I didn't do it. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, these, like, these yeah. Actually complete deniability. Everyone else is fucked <laughs> or dead. Um, um, but yeah, that, that moment is just like, it's just remarkable. Even mm. though it has like the absurdity of, uh, um, Blinker and Boxer, you know, going around in the nip. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just such a striking moment. And um, yeah, the, the score throughout is amazing. That that thing that you're talking about as well with the kind of where you can hear the sound of the keys and the hits and stuff, it's a real cornerstone in how Niels Fram produces his music. You know, like there was a time when if you were playing a piano piece, like a classical piano piece, you're trying to get rid of as much of those creaks and those little like sounds as possible. Whereas like Niels Fram puts microphones up under the seat that he's sitting in and like up around where he is. So you can actually hear him breathing on the track and everything goes to this like old tape machine so that you get those grains and everything. And it's like, there's a beauty in all the kind of the grainy, mistakey stuff so that you're like right in there beside him when he's playing the piano and it's just do beautiful. You, like. Do you feel like it's identifiably Niels Fram? Uh, I think so. It, like very much Niels Fram set a standard that a lot of people have used since. Um, like for instance, one act that would probably take a lot out of that production style would be Chiasmos, for instance, who would have a lot of kind of techno elements, but then the piano and stuff would have like a huge amount of that um those quiet sounds and the sounds where you can Sorry, hear the piano like, and everything do you think the score is identifiably him like could you watch that film and be like yeah i think so i mean it's very his style of stuff like he's very well known for that drone stuff as well where you have this like beautiful long violin notes with the piano like right in on top of it the piano feels really really heavy and muted um there's no like brightness in it which really really suits i think the the whole thing but it's quite interesting because he hasn't actually done that much Score I was going to ask. You know I mean, mean, this is obviously an art house film, 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Niels Fram is a very well known name, but he's not exactly like you know mainstream radio or anything. But mm-hmm. I mean, uh, would he be considered like a real get for this? Like a real coup to have him? I, I mean, definitely think so. Like himself and Kose would be like real Berlin royalty, if you know what I mean. So like this director really knows his boys, like you know. But like, and Kose has like two or three tracks in the in the film as well. You know, like when they come back into the club, it's Kose playing again. <laughs> Which is amazing. Another absolute banger as well. Yeah, which is <laughs> absolute banger. And like the way that cuts is absolutely incredible because you're right. Like, I mean, I really like that point that you made where it was like, it does really feel like a release where like you have been going through this thing. I mean, not like five or 10 minutes ago, the car has cut out while they're like waiting for him to come oh back out. Oh my God. Yeah. When the car 
cuts the out. most stressful thing and like you're like in there with them and you just she sells that so well oh, it's so good like and like you are like screaming with her it's like something has to happen something has it to also happen. like in a really nice way you would expect that she kicks it back up and it starts but it doesn't she needs to get boxer to kick it back up again for her and it's just like oh my god and uh, yeah and there's other moments like that as well we're not talking about like even that part where he he can't open the car door on the far side so he has to run remember just before when they get into the car first but outside the cafe and he has to run around jump over pop over the thing which i think is like a natural kind of like thing that they had to do but anyway you're you're like running through you've just robbed the bank with them they've parked up the car he's like have we gotten away with this like is this actually happening and then they're down in the club and it's blaringly loud it's like it doesn't sound like it's like directly into your sound it sounds like the mic is being recorded in the club so it's really brash and horrible and then it just does the hardest cut like the hardest cut like we just listened to and it just like hits into this beautiful piano piece and you're right it's like it really is that like here is the celebration the euphoric moments and it's absolutely beautiful it's fairy tale-esque though as Higgs says like you know it's like the kind of, it's the one moment you're getting before like the real world <laughs> come crashing back in horribly yeah. and it does and and they also fuck up that moment because obviously they get, they get thrown out of the club so yeah. it's like you you, you couldn't even enjoy your victory. So if they properly. kept their clothes on, they would have maybe got away with it. Potentially, yeah. Um, clubs stay, yeah. Clubs stay open very late or early, <laughs> or I early. guess. Uh, As it's, it's just clubs don't close. Yeah, <laughs> they could have just stayed there all day. So, like, um, I, I guess you know we have probably haven't mentioned it enough though. But just based on what you were saying there a minute ago, like I do think that Leia Costa's performance is absolutely brilliant. Mm, she's incredible. fantastic in this, and she has to be. But like, she really imbues the like this character, and like there's so much kind of she's wounded. Like she's mm-hmm. so fucking wounded, and that's why like it hurts so much by the end of the movie. Um. It's just, it's quite a devastating thing, but she has like all that kind of like, the, she's got the childlike sense of wonder, but she also seems like an independent person, you know, who's making her way in the world, but just crucially doesn't have that connection. Um, in terms of, you know, from a technical point of view, is this a film, do you want to see that other cut that the financier has had? Could no. you, would you prefer a version of this movie that does have more traditional structure with maybe a tighter edit? What do you think? Um, out of curiosity, yeah, I'd, I'd watch it, but not not from a point of... Would it be better? I don't. I don't think it would be better. Like one of the things that I, I like about this, and one of the things that the 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 one shot creates is they're kind of knackered by the end of it, and you yeah. would be, and yeah. it's understandable. But if you're on an all nighter, like you, as as like as they're coming down, it's just like it it makes sense. Like you can tell, as you said, like sometimes they flub lines, but it's natural because. If you're out all night drinking and you're doing drugs, you're not going to be 100% like razor sharp with your dialogue. And I really like that. Like, you know, a a famous one shot is like in Old Boy where there's this tracking shot and everyone's like, oh, it looks so cool. One of the cool things about it is that like everyone's knackered. Everyone's like, you know, you throw six or seven punches and then you're like, oh, I can't breathe anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You kind of, you do tend to forget that it runs in like the other thing about the one take is that it runs in real time. So it's like from half four in the morning till about seven o'clock is like roughly the timeline ish. And you're like, oh, God, yeah, this is like they have genuinely been going nonstop and I've been going nonstop Mm. and now I'm knackered. Um, and I feel like I've robbed a bank and gone like, through all these motions. I go to the director and I'd be like, Sebastian, I'd be like, uh, I think my character would be someone who like has a bottle of water on him at all times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get dry mouth. Yeah. Takes a nap. Yeah. There's there's one thing that, that uh, an edited version of this would miss, which I, I don't think you really see that much in, in cinema as well, which is this idea where there's like a couple of moments in the film where there's like, 
the audience is having a dawning realization moment. So, uh, like a really good moment is when they come back up out of the club um, after their big euphoric moment. They they take the turn and suddenly you see the flashing lights of the thing and in your mind you're like oh shit and then there's this incredible scene that would be cut out of an edited film of them just walking away from the club as fast as they possibly can and this like you you are having this dawning realization it's like they fucked it they fucked it and what happens now and there's stuff like a car goes by and it's like that's the cops and then there's like another part where the car pulls up and hear the screeching of the tires and all that stuff would be cut to be a really fast action kind of thing. But the fact that you have to sit there with them while they're like, you fucked it, you fucked it, you fucked it, is like an incredible piece of cinema. Like that would only work as a one shot, you know? I do think on a rewatch, it's hurt a little bit by by knowing what happens. I mean, mm. I think that's natural. And like, that's, you know, that shouldn't necessarily be something to ding the film. Films don't need to have replay value as a fucking basic design. But it is, I mean, like I, I was so captivated by it watching it the first time because I didn't know where it was going. I, mm-hmm. I didn't expect a heist. I didn't expect anything. I didn't know where, where the night would go. I didn't think that the four lads would be main characters. I thought they were going to be there for five minutes and you wouldn't see them again. I didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, also, to go to go back and to, to give uh, Frederick Lowe a bit of a, you know, a bit of a confidence boost after you buried him <laughs> earlier on Higgs. I will say he, he does tips you very well. He's like, he's a good actor. I just didn't buy the new Brando. I'm not buying the new brand. They exactly. also have an unending supply of cigarettes on them. <laughs> it's just like anytime anyone needs a cigarette, it's there. And I was like, they must have had two boxes of cigarettes yeah. in their pockets at and all times. That's definitely a choice on, on the part of the DOP as well, who's like, at some point you need to lean in and light somebody's cigarette. Yeah. Somebody else needs there to are, Like, this is, again, another thing why the one take thing is so difficult. Like, the focus puller on this heck of a job yeah, <laughs> because like they catch all the right moments at the right time the actors from what you can see are hitting all their marks they're getting to all the points that the camera needs to go in even like there's a moment where they pull down the stairs to get to the roof and you're like I forget that like the cameraman is also climbing that stairs yeah, yeah. <laughs> and needing to like pull a, a shoulder rig up with him into, into that stairs, get into the car, be in the car with them. And like, it's essentially also like a sixth member on the 9-8. Yeah. Our, um, our last watch, incredible. we had a huge amount of conversation about like how you would actually do certain things. Like there's a moment where we figured out like how they get the blood packs for when they get shot. Yeah. Because they're not holding onto it the whole time. So because they're see, naked in the club. So there's no <laughs> blood packs the club, on them. So there's no blood packs on them then. So then they disappear from view and obviously they get handed a blood pack to get inside here and like they get them at different times. And yeah. there's some incredible like production done here, like blocking and like figuring out how you're going to get. I would love to see, see to but I would love to see a really shoddy version of this. I'd love to see like a really crap Irish version. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where like someone's just like, like off stage with like a fucking squirt gun. <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the things like the thing that I think is great about it and um Sebastian Shipper when he was kind of describing Victoria, he like he paraphrased the you know, Francis Ford Coppola when he was talking about Apocalypse Now, he was like, Apocalypse Now is not a, a Vietnam movie. Apocalypse Now is Vietnam. <laughs> and Sebastian Shippers kind of used this where he's like, Victoria isn't a movie about a bank robbery. Victoria is a bank robbery. And he's actually right in that, like, it's so meticulously planned. And in terms of, like, you're saying, like, you know, everyone has to hit their marks. And it's like, yeah. 
you know, how do you get blood packs to people? Like, I think there was this, in the scene where the lads, like, basically get the nip, they leave their guns in the, yeah. in the club. Mm. So, like, Laia Costa had to, like, go and back and, like, get the guns because they'd be like, oh, shit, they're going to, they're literally about to walk into a gunfight with the cops with no guns. That's right. Um, and she managed to, like, you know, surreptitiously, like, hand them back to them. Like, there was, like, there was so much going on in terms of, mm. like, at so many occasions, this movie should have fallen apart. Like, yeah. and like, yeah. the fact that they were able to kind of to keep going, and um, I'm sure like it was just like pure adrenaline for them, which again, which helps mm-hmm. for 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 what they're acting out in it, um, is like remarkable. Yeah, it's kind of like I guess in a way like if you're in a play and there's a live audience there, once you start the play, it has to reach its end. <laughs> there's no like. Okay, give me a second. <laughs> We've forgotten this thing. So it is like so unbelievably well planned. And also the bit where she's the piano scene and she's talking about how she trained to be this pianist. Obviously, because it's one take as well. There's no one miming that piano play me, playing. It's just yeah, she learns the intro. Yeah. So she has to like be this incredible actor who's given this amazing performance in a one take film who's also incredible at piano. <laughs> Um, so I think it's an incredible feat. In summary, Victoria, better than 1917. Uh, <laughs> before we wrap up, though, there is a one extra note here. We, we've, we've hinted at it, but I mean, like, Higgs, you have written down here, Berlin plays itself. So do you want to have an extended riff here on how much you love Berlin? And- <laughs> well, no, it, I think I kind of touched on it. Like, this movie has an amazing sense of place. And, like, it's it's quite clever in what it does in terms of where it starts. You know, it starts in Kreuzberg, which is... If you've ever been to Berlin, it's like the hipster central of uh, of Berlin, mm-hmm. and then the bank robbery is in Mitte, which is kind of you're getting more into like the the financial district, the very Business bougie, side, yeah. rich part of Berlin. But it's on the same the the street her cafe is on is essentially on the same street further down where they actually do the heist. But like one part's Kreuzberg, one part's Mitte. So like that's very clever. It's just like knowing kind of the two sides of Berlin. I was also curious. That, What's kind of interesting is that the the, the Kreuzberg side, you know, the, the kind of a bit more rundown with your dank underground nightclubs and your sketchy dudes that are going to try and steal a car and then you go and hang out with is actually in West Berlin, even though in your head you're like, oh, that, that sounds like the Eastern experience. And then they end up going to what was East Berlin, which is now like the very, very rich um, part of Berlin. I just think like, I mean, obviously, I think Sebastian Schipper's from Berlin. It's just this. It's it's a movie that its geography is really really good. Yeah, it's nailed down. Nailed down, and like it's it's not a huge distance that they go, but it makes a lot of sense. And like, there's lots of like little touches about it. Um, Like when they go to buy the beer. Like, there's been occasions where you go into a shop at like four in the morning, and the person would be asleep. You, you might wake them up when they yeah, when they yeah. walk in, but like that's it, like it definitely sounds a like real a story thing. That probably happened to one of them or something like that, and they include it in the script or something like oh, that. Oh, absolutely! You know? In the in the piano scene, there's a very well placed Bex, <laughs> but, or very poorly, because apparently um, Frederick Lau put it there, and Sebastian Schiffer was like. Oh fuck! Get that oh, out no. of the frame. It's ruining my frame because, like, it, it's just like it's it's, it's perfectly it's lit. Per- it's, it's, it's perfectly lit, and <laughs> like, he, yeah. he 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 has it. He has like... it dropped, so it's like it's in shot. It's like <laughs> you know, it wasn't product placement. He's like, <laughs> it, it, uh, he was like, oh, it looks like it now. This is terrible. <laughs> Another thing about the beer that I thought was very good, again uh, from listening to interviews, is that 
So the production designers, when they went into the Sprady, had like, on the middle row, had like put beers in. And they were obviously non-alcoholic. But on the bottom row, and you'll see that Frederick Leo actually is like, even though there's like a, a wall of, of beers in front of him that he could have just like, if these are the ones you're grabbing, he's like getting down like really low and like getting the other ones. So like just to get the actual alcoholic beers. Legend. Very nice. So he is a good actor is what we're saying. Yeah? <laughs> Poor, you know. Okay. Okay, so lastly, um, what star rating will it be getting from you on Letterboxd now that you can finally unleash? Um, I think it's probably a four. All right, okay. Four is pretty good. Four is good. Okay. Uh, that's Victoria 2015. Well worth tracking down. You can get it on uh, Google Movies, I guess. Is that where we watched uh, it last time? Yes. There is some tricky stuff about trying to find Subtitles. the right version yeah, because yeah. there's some closed caption subtitle versions, which is quite annoying. Um, and then the the Blu-ray DVD is very good, though. It has go very good. Highly recommend <laughs> Blu-ray DVD. Just, just on the Director subtitles, commentary. I have yeah. an interest. I have, a, I have a question that occurred to me while I was watching it. Um, it came out the same year, I think, as another movie partially set in Berlin, Bridge of Spies. Oh, yeah. They're in no way related, apart from being no. set in Berlin. But is that the in, in the scene Tom where Hanks Tom Hanks, yeah, yeah, he goes to Berlin. And when he's in Berlin and people are speaking German, because you're, he is your, 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 your guide through this world, there's no subtitles. Because they, Steven Spielberg wants you to have the confusion that yeah. um, his character has in it. Is there like an argument to be made that like the lads' see, dialogue shouldn't be subtitled, see, I, 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 and oh, that you they, are yeah. completely yeah. like I, I don't know really what's going on because it's mostly English. Yeah, like but yeah. It's just to clarify, them there's of, moments where they had the lads speak to themselves and they speak yeah, German. and it kind of. Um, but there is important information dropped though, so if you don't know German, you would be missing. But I think that elements. you can definitely watch it on a rewatch, maybe in that fashion. Maybe I should have done that because, like, yeah, I remember when we watched it, like you had to like make all kinds of tweaks to get the women. The yeah, but I will say this, over. right? Because there's sometimes like I remember I I downloaded like a. Black Rain, excellent film, Black Rain, Ridley Scott, late 80s, has the original Batman score in the film, and it's like Michael Douglas in Japan, and I remember there's a sequence with like the Yakuza having a big meeting, and there was no subtitles, <laughs> and I was like, this is a genius move on Ridley Scott's behalf, because like, I wouldn't know either, if I was Michael Douglas' character, I'd be like, like, the whole point is that I'm out of my depth, and I don't know this world, and I don't know the language, and of course it was like, I just didn't download the subtitle file, and there actually are subtitles, <laughs> But again, you, you can do the pretentious thing and be like, well, I wouldn't know what they're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. So. There's, there, is, there is a thing to be said about it, though, is that like it also helps with the one-shot thing because it's the equivalent of having a scene without the lead character. You know, the way like an audience will get a piece of information that the lead character doesn't know, and that's like a, a pivotal thing. And like, you can, I, I probably need to rewatch it, you're right, like, because there is parts where you're just like, oh, I read is what they're saying, she doesn't know this. Um, and it's just because of the language and the way the language is set up, which helps with the one shot thing where you can kind of almost get a secondary scene inside the one you're watching or whatever, you know? I think it'd be interesting. I think ultimately I don't think it would work because you would... You'd miss a lot you of would, the lads you, kind of over and back, if you know. Yeah, but in ter- <laughs> even in terms of like trying to sell what's happening where, you know, you, you know, Boxer's coming back and you can tell, you could tell that he was very animated and he was very worried about something. Mm. But, you know, when she gets in the car and they, they drive off and then suddenly they pull into a garage and the lad has like a submachine gun, you're like, <laughs> hey, what is going on here? <laughs> Next time on No Popcorn, I don't think there'll be submachine guns involved, but there will be another woman's name ending in A. <laughs> <laughs> Do
That's right, it's Evita, starring Madonna, who I'm not a big fan of. I've never seen this film. It's from the early 90s, I believe, mid-90s. Did she win an Oscar? All kinds of jazz. Oliver Stone's script, you say? An Oliver Stone script, yeah. So um, we we are kind of like recording these a good bit before they're coming out. But uh, last week, the, the great Alan Parker died. So we're, we're going to... Do one of his movies. He did a lot of uh, a lot of musicals, including Commitments, which we talked about. But you know, we don't chase the clicks here at No Popcorn. So <laughs> sure of course, don't. we've gone for no. We're bringing <laughs> you um, the people's favorite, Avita. <laughs> yeah, so we're going for uh, a Oliver Stone script based on an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical starring Madonna, Antonio Banderas, Andrea Corr. Ooh. Unfortunately, no Jim Core. I imagine Jim Core and Oliver Stone will have lots to talk about. Probably, yeah, yeah. Say and so. uh, the great Jimmy Nail. What? <laughs> Is this, who directed this film? Alan Parker. I'm oh, sorry, you just said it. Yeah, I was just like, what? I was like, I'm, I'm baffled. Jimmy Nail. Jimmy Nail, yeah. Jesus, okay. Um, so hang on, none of us have seen this film. I've never we? seen this. I, mean, I saw it probably on TV years ago. I think my mom, like, so my mom was a really, really big Andrew Lloyd Webber fan. And I would have inherited a bit of that as well. Um, and Avita has some, some pretty good songs. All right. Well, that's Avita. That's what we'll be doing next. Uh, it's patreon.com slash noancore if you want to support the show. Uh, your your patronage would greatly help us in this kind of strange remote era as we convene around some uh, some pretty good equipment, though. Dahi broke out his very nice microphone for this one. So <laughs> that's why he sounds like he's in 4K and the rest of us are slowly up by comparison. So patreon.com slash noancore if you want to help support the show. That'll be awesome. There's more No Popcorn coming soon. As Higgs said, we are kind of block booking these episodes as, as we go so that we don't fall off the map as we did before. Before. and uh yeah lots, lots more to come stuff is kind of emerging we will be doing bill and ted 3 when that arrives Woo! around the start of september norm is delighted so <laughs> that's coming <laughs> eventually Stupid. but we'll see where we go but for now thanks guys appreciate it thanks very much thank you thank Good you stuff go check out victoria it's a great movie my name is dave hanrowdy this has been the popcorn there'll be no popcorn back next time with Vita. <laughs> <laughs> podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? 
All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.